hey, how flexible are you? And how flexible do you think you should be? Today, our theme is flexibility. Well, that isn't unless we change our mind as we go, because that's part of being flexible. Coming up on today's episode are three stories to do with flexibility. One is for your bike, one is for your body, and one is for your mind. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as the MCM top pick in their recent compressor comparison. www.cyclepump.com I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Dustin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rowe. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Witt. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeBell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. So a while ago, I received a set of flex handlebars from Fast Company in Utah. And these bars are designed to sort of hinge or flex using a compression and rebound elastomer to absorb vibration. So when you get into the real tough stuff, they sort of smooth out some of those vibes and impacts that would otherwise reach your hands and be transmitted up into your shoulders. Now, that combined with the shape of the bar make a really nice bar for adventure motorcycling. I mean, I really enjoyed this, this set of handlebars. And although these elastomers in here, they're not huge, these compression and rebound elastomers, their movement is slight. It's the flexibility in the bars that make a huge improvement for me over the stock bars. I mean, flexibility is key in so many things on our bikes. For instance, your frame. I mean, you would think it would be metal, you would picture it to be a very rigid thing, but actually frames are designed to flex. They expect them, they know they're going to flex, they know how much they're going to flex, and it is designed into it when they're making the motorcycle. It doesn't stop there though. Flexibility is in your rims, your forks, your seat. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And flexibility is key with so many things for us as motorcyclists, both on and off the bike, that we decided to, well, make this whole episode about flexibility. 
If you've looked around for motorcycle luggage, there's no doubt you've come across the debate between hard luggage and soft luggage. Both of them have their attributes that make them great. Soft luggage, for instance, when you drop your motorcycle, it absorbs impact. Hard luggage is lockable, and when you open it up and you go to dig through it, it's a wide open box. It's easy to get into. Well, there is a pannier system out there that sort of melds the best of both of these style of boxes. And there's a guy in North Carolina named Bob. (laughs) My name is Bob Earl. I live in Chatham County, North Carolina, and I build uh, the Mule Pack Panairs. Now, Bob has a machine shop. And he's a bit of an inventor. He builds products and sells them. Mostly build my own products. Uh, We don't do any outside work, per se. And it's mostly the mule packs. And I uh, also make some fishing gear. Now, Bob's been around for a while. He's been riding motorcycles since he was a kid. Uh, I've been riding forever, more or less, since my youth. And uh, I currently do a lot of adventure riding. Uh, I have two motorcycles, a... uh, Suzuki DL1000, a V-Strom, and I also have a KTM 690 that I ride. Bob, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. All right, thank you. Good to be here. Let's sort of just give a rough overview. What is Mule Pack Pannier? Well, let's say uh, it's a roto-molded box, and it's uh, very indestructible. Uh, it's soft, yet it's hard. Uh, it's just a good all-round, uh, I think, practical, practical bot. Rotomolo, what is that? Uh, that is, uh, it's a pretty complicated process, but it's, uh, we start with a mold. Uh, we add polyethylene powder to it, put it in an oven, and literally rock and roll it for an hour, and remove it, cool it, and pop it out of the oven, out of the mold, more or less, and uh, then uh, start the assembly process. So you're not really making the panniers, you're baking them. That's exactly... (laughs) I couldn't couldn't resist. (laughs) Yeah. I couldn't resist. But what other things are made? So someone can have a reference, maybe doesn't quite understand what rotomolding is. And, And also, that's computer controlled, isn't it? It is computer controlled, and um, a lot of items you see, common ones are uh, kayaks, whitewater kayak, uh, highway barricades, and the orange barrels you see on the highway, they're roto molded. So, uh, highway barricades are meant to be tough, and they need to be tough. Uh, trucks hit them and whatnot. So, uh, this is a, a pretty practical material to use. Well, the one that really struck me was, was the reference to kayaks. That's incredible durability because with a whitewater kayak, you, you have to have a boat that's extremely durable, bounces off rocks. It can even get crushed sometimes in, in the current. You can actually crush your panniers, can't you? Uh, you can. Uh, I've actually driven over them with a pickup truck before, and uh, they spring right back. Uh, I recently heard a really good story from a uh, friend of mine out in uh, Oregon who uh, hit a deer accidentally, and uh, it hit directly behind his leg and the box. Fortunately, he didn't crash, and uh, upon inspecting the inside uh, of the box, he found that the propane tanks for his uh, camp stove had been crushed, but there was no damage to the Panair itself. So, uh, that sort of gives you an idea of their resilience. 
It's almost like a big Rubbermaid, only, I guess, more durable than that. It's a little tougher, yeah. We uh, add uh, thickness to our the walls, so we have about three-sixteenths to a quarter-inch thickness, uh, so they're a little tougher than uh, your average kayak. So it's it's kind of like a, a crossover between soft luggage and hard luggage. You're, you're sort of getting advantages of both systems with it. I, I think that's what I find intriguing. Uh, that's correct. Uh, the d- design of the box has got radiuses built into it. And they're not only for style, but they're for strength. And uh, so basically, there's no sharp edges. They're all radius. And uh, that uh, is good in, in a lot of ways. It, like I said before, it adds strength, but also uh, a little safer if your leg hits it or arm or, or the bike should fall on you. You've got a, uh, a, a rounded edge, which isn't going to do damage to your body. Yeah, and, and the story you told there about your friend that got hit by the deer, if that was an aluminum pannier, it probably would have been crushed beyond repair, whereas this thing's just popping back out. I mean, I guess the disadvantage somebody would say automatically is, well, his gear got crushed, and maybe if it was an aluminum pannier, you know, the, the like if he had his computer in or something like that, it wouldn't have been crushed. I, I don't know. That's I guess that's debatable on how much force there is. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I think that's a unique uh, situation. Hitting a deer at 55 miles an hour, I think aluminum or a mule pack, uh, yeah, you're gonna... anything inside was toast. Yeah. So the the advantages to this is is flexibility, really. I mean, that's the big advantage. Isn't it? it's, it's waterproof, too, isn't it? Uh, to a certain degree. Um, we have a gasket around the lid, and uh, rainstorms, driving wind, rain, uh, it keeps it dry. However, I have found that if you submerge your bike for any length of time, uh, you might might get a leak or two in there. So uh, I'm not going to say they're absolutely waterproof, but uh, they're they're pretty much waterproof. So they're lockable. Are, are they removable as well, like a normal hard pannier? Yeah, they are lockable and they're easy to remove. We have uh, two thumb wheels inside. Uh, they're basically bolts with uh, little hand wheels on them, and they can be removed in about literally a minute. Just slide right off the rack. If it gets dented or scratched, I mean, is there paint to scrape off? What's it look like after it gets crushed or after it gets damaged? Well, uh, there there's no paint to scratch off. They will scratch. They will ding. Uh, they can be heated with a blow dryer or some sort of uh, heat gun. And you can kind of work with it like with the back of a spoon, sort of like you would uh, stainless steel. And uh, you can get it back, but uh, they will scrape and scratch. So they're, they're utilitarian. So this is something that you originally designed for yourself, though. You didn't start, start this with a commercial product in mind. Uh, no, not at all. I... Uh, do aluminum welding and I sat down one day I had a DR650 and I wanted to go on an extended trip and I needed some boxes so I sat down to weld up a set and wasn't getting anywhere with that and uh, uh, roto molding came to mind and uh, fortunately I have some friends who were in the business and uh, we got together and collaborated and made myself a set of boxes and uh, 
took it from there. Yeah, because rotor molding is a huge deal. You're, you've got to make a, a cast for that that has to be fit to a machine. I imagine that, well, I guess that's right up your alley being in a machine shop. Uh, yes, you do. Um, the mold is uh, pretty uh, neat uh, how we did that. Uh, we did a little bit of a in the machine shop, and the rest of it, uh, my friend Randy Sweat uh, bent all the aluminum by hand and welded and polished and uh, it was a lot of fun to do and to watch him work uh, he, he's just a master at it and uh, we had a mold and nothing flat and we uh, stuck it in the oven gave it a try and it was almost a perfect first try now, as far as the racks go, we talked about mounting there, and I just want to go back to that for a second because um, this goes on any sort of uh, hard penny or rack system? Pretty much. Uh, I don't want to build racks for motorcycles, so I built it as universal as I could, and it will drop on just about every rack out there. Uh, Happy Trails, uh, Jitties, uh, all the brand, major brands. Uh, SW Motec. So we tried to make it as universal as possible. Now, one of the nice things about being flexible, and it's one, one reason I really like soft luggage for a lot of the riding that I do, because um, it's more technical stuff and there's a chance that you're going to drop the bike. And one of the great things about a plastic or pliable uh, pannier is that you get sort of, like I was saying earlier, the best of both worlds there. You get a box that's easy to open and access your stuff, but you also have flexibility because when you drop your bike, that energy has to go somewhere. And if it's a solid pannier mounted to a solid frame, mounted to your subframe on your motorcycle, that transfers all the energy to places you don't want it. Whereas what the what your pannier is going to do is absorb a lot of it as it starts to crush, even though it's it'll be held apart. And I find this with my soft bag, with your gear inside, your clothing or whatever it is you have in there. Uh, that's true. Um, we've uh, had several testimonials from people who have crashed and hit trees. And like you say, the energy has transferred. And uh, I find that the racks uh, hold up a whole lot better. Uh, it seems like it's almost a shock absorber. And uh, like aluminum will vibrate and can be noisy as you're going down the road. The uh, mule packs are quiet, so you can almost imagine that vibration is being soaked up. And the lids, they're, they're made of the same material? They are. The uh, boxes are molded in one piece, so they're, they're exactly the same. You also had a story about someone who took, took it on a trip. On, I can't remember where they were, and they had a bus hit them. That's true. A fellow from right up in your neck of the woods, uh, Steve, uh, was in South America, and uh, he was uh, riding in Chile, one of the larger towns there, and he was telling us a great story how the people drive like maniacs, first of all, and absolutely have no regard for you or your motorcycle, and uh, he actually got squeezed between a barricade and a bus. And he felt that the mule packs acted as bumpers and saved him and his legs from being crushed. And uh, it's quite remarkable. He's got some pictures of it. I just can't believe riding a bike in that situation. Well, um, we're a small company and uh, we're working uh, to get them to distributors in Canada and Australia. 
Um, we've got a lot of people who are interested in getting them, and uh, we're working towards that goal. So, uh, but right now they they can buy directly from you from your website, and it's called. Uh, acmezoom.com that's a-m-c-e-z-o-o-m dot com now I had to ask that because to me it reminds me of the Roadrunner that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> like what uh, that's does exactly. Acme I've always wondered that <laughs> what does that mean yeah that's exactly where it came from and uh, you're uh, right on with that well, Bob, it sounds like you've got a, a really neat product there. I, I, I look forward to seeing it sometime. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. And that was Bob Earl from Acme Zoom, home of the Mule Pack Pannier. And you can find out more about that by visiting www.acmezoom.com. And of course, that link will be in our show notes. going to take a break just for a second and thank one of the sponsors that helped bring this episode to you today, and that's PSSOR, Puget Sound Safety Off-Road. It's a division of Puget Sound Safety, which is motorcycle training. PSSOR specializes in training for you, an adventure motorcyclist. And with adventure motorcycling, we're obviously riding much heavier bikes, in a lot of cases anyway. But even if you're riding a small bike, um, they train everything from little tiny bikes right on up to the big adventure bikes. And they've got a bunch of different ways to do it. Um, one of the ways they do it is a, is a sort of a classroom style where you're going to one spot and learning um, at that spot. In other words, one location. Another spot that I really like the sound of that's, that's really neat is their expedition training. And that's where you, they take you on one of the BDR routes or something like that. And you actually learn on a real adventure. That is very cool because you're going out and you're finding real world obstacles and you're overcoming them. And when you run into trouble, that's the the time to learn. That's when Brett and the and the trainers at PSSOR take those opportunities to teach you things about that. So a great way to learn. And let's face it, learning more about riding your motorcycle, I mean, we can all do that at any skill level. We, we can always advance. You can also get renters, rentals through them as well. You can arrange that. Drop by their website, www.psor.com. Look at their lineup for 2018. I think we're done for 17 now. They're already booking for 2018. So you want to be quick. Have a look at what they've got there. www.psor.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, definitely mention you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, for this next segment, we've got an exercise specialist from the Mayo Clinic. Now, just before we get going on that, I wanted to tell you that we do have graphics up on the website. So if you go to the show notes for this episode, you can look at the the exercises, the photographs of the exercises that we're going to talk about here. It's a very quick little piece. And the exercises are easy to do. So I really encourage you, go there, look at them. You can look at them right now while we're talking about it, or you can go afterwards to www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the show notes for this episode, and, uh, and then you'll see the photographs in there. But I, I highly recommend that you do that because it's a simple, easy thing to do. And this is all about flexibility, mobility. Riding a motorcycle is very physical, as we all know. And certainly an adventure bike is extremely physical, I would say, over a, a street bike. You're standing up, you're sitting down, you may be even picking up your bike. So flexibility with our muscles, our body, is extremely important. So what we decided to do is try and get a few very simple exercises, something you wouldn't need to, to go to a gym for, you wouldn't need to make a big deal about. And for this, we turn to Tom Rick, who is an exercise specialist at the Mayo Clinic. All right. So this is Tom Rick. 
from Rochester, Minnesota. I work at the Mayo Clinic Healthy Living Program as an exercise specialist. Tom, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim, for having me again. Now, we talked some time ago about exercise and motorcycling, but I think most of us will agree or at least understand that flexibility and mobility are important to us as motorcyclists, in particular for adventure motorcycling, because you'll ride in some strenuous conditions, let's just say that. So you're an exercise specialist. Where do we start with this? Sure, Jim. So, you know, let's kind of further define both flexibility and mobility. So flexibility is really the ability to eventually get to my full range of motion or get a little bit beyond that, whereas mobility is the ability to really move easily and freely. So imagine I'm going to reach down and try to touch my toes. I can eventually get there because my hamstrings are pretty tight. I can eventually get there, maybe 30 or 60 seconds. I'll eventually get there. Mobility is basically allowing me to reach down for my toes the first time within one or two seconds, be able to touch them and then kind of come right back up. Ah, okay. So, so you're, you're, you're going to have to do both of these. You're going to try, you have to extend your flexibility to get more mobility. Exactly. That's a great way to, to describe it. Okay. So when it comes to riding our motorcycles, there's times when, I mean, all kinds of times, like you drop your bike, you have to pick it up. Um, you know, you're, you're doing some tough maneuver. There's, there's a lot of instances where you need mobility. Correct. And to get that, we need that flexibility, which is, that's where the training comes in. Yes, the ability to really, you know, move your motorcycle to wherever you need to. Maybe you need to go to full lock to full lock to avoid an obstacle on the trail or you dropped your glove. You need to be able to have that really that mobility to reach down and pick that up without tipping a motorcycle. So do we lose this, the, the, the mobility as we get older or even just through time of, of not uh, working with our flexibility? Do we actually lose the mobility? Well, a lot of us think it has to do with age, but that's actually not true. Um, the real reason we start to lose it is we just kind of stop working on it. So as a kid, you were down rolling around on the floor, reaching up and trying to grab stuff and so forth. And now as adults, you know, we kind of have really morphed our environment to make everything really easily. You know, we don't build shelving units that are seven feet tall. We build them that they're only about six feet tall. So I can easily reach in and grab something from that cabinet. Whereas a kid, you know, they're trying to reach up and grab a cookie off the table. They're getting a lot more stretching and a lot more flexibility work than we do as adults. It doesn't take too long before you can actually have, and research has actually shown that, it only takes about four to six weeks of you actually consistently working on it where you're going to notice, you know, measurable differences. And unfortunately, it's the same thing on the other side of the spectrum. So if you stop working on it, it'll stick around for a little while, but at about four to six weeks, you're going to start again kind of noticing a measurable difference in the opposite way. Okay, so that's not too disappointing to hear because what you said at the start was we can get it back. And now you have some exercises for us to do so that we can get this back. Yes, absolutely. So I kind of have four of my favorite exercises that I'll kind of walk through here. The first one is called the calf stretch. So typically we're on our bike and we're seated. Maybe we get up every once in a while, but we're still on a pretty small surface. You know, that peg of most adventure bikes is pretty small. So our calves go through a lot of work when they're on the bike. So my first exercise, the calf stretch, is relatively simple. Just go ahead and find a wall or find an elevated surface that's going to allow you to stretch your calf, walk up to it. Put your forefoot up on the wall, set your heel down, and hold that for about 30 to 60 seconds. Okay, seems straightforward enough. Yeah. The second one is called a kneeling hip flexor stretch. So you're going to... Sorry, hang on. Say, say that slower again. It's called what? Sure. It's called a kneeling hip flexor stretch. Kneeling hip flexor stretch. Okay. Correct. Yep. Kneeling hip flexor stretch. 
So you're going to bring yourself down to the floor as if you were kneeling. So one knee is going to be behind you a little bit. One foot's going to be flat on the floor with your knee bent out in front. And you're essentially going to think about pushing your hips forward. You're going to be opening up the front part of your hip, which has a tendency to get very tight as we sit, whether it's on the motorcycle or sitting in the office all day long. Okay, so I've got one foot. I'm sort of leaning on my way to one foot. I've got the other leg stretched behind me. Is that how I'm doing it? Correct. It's like you're trying to drag your knee along the floor. Right, like you, like you were in the middle of, of a jump over, you know, like if you were doing, uh, I'm trying to think of what is it, were you jumping over? Wow, this is really bad. <laughs> what, what do you jump over the boards that you jump over? Sure, yeah, the hurdles maybe. Yeah, you're thinking hurdles, about, okay. It's kind of similar to that. So, mm-hmm. so like you're, you're midway through that sort of thing. Your leg's stretched out behind you, your other leg is underneath you, and you're scrunched down, and you're saying you push your hips forward? Correct. You're thinking about pushing your hips forward. It's almost like, you know, somebody's right behind you, right on top, kind of your lower back and giving you a kind of a shove forward. And you should feel a pretty nice stretch really in the front part of your thigh, kind of like where your pockets would be on a pair of jeans. And then you alternate. You do one leg, then the other. Same as the other one. Yes, exactly. And research has really shown us that you have to hold these stretches for about 30 to 60 seconds, um, just one time. And that's enough to kind of allow that tissue to go back to that length that it, that it originally had. Okay. So what's the next one? Sure. The next one is something called snow angels. So, you know, coming from the great white north, you kind of know a little bit about snow and it's a very similar exercise. I, what I like to do is use something called a foam roller or a rolled up towel that's placed really kind of from the base of my spine all the way up into my head. And so you're laying down on that foam roller or that rolled up towel that gives you a little bit of elevation. And then from there, what you do is you just go ahead and bend those knees so your feet will be flat on the ground. And then you take your arms, just like you were a little kid, palms facing up to the ceiling. You start low down by your hips, and you slowly work your hands all the way up so they're above your head. That one seems simple enough. Yeah. Um, What are we stretching there? Sure. So that's really working on the front part of your chest and your shoulders. As motorcyclists, we keep our hands, you know, obviously on the handlebars quite a bit. And so we have a tendency to let our posture kind of relax a little bit. And the front part, our chest muscles, our shoulder muscles have a tendency to get a little bit tight. And this stretch is really good for opening up that chest wall and those muscles. Okay. And what's number four? Number four is actually an exercise, and you'll need to use like a TheraBand or like a stretchy rubber band. A lot of gyms have them. You can buy them very inexpensively online, and it's called the W exercise. And it's really to help strengthen, again, kind of working on the posture muscles, help strengthen the upper back and shoulder muscles. And what you do is you take both elbows and you kind of ground them right against your ribs. So you press the elbows right down a little bit in front of those ribs, your palms are facing towards you and you grip that rubber band and you kind of think about pulling it apart and the same time I'm squeezing my shoulder blades together and then turn back to the beginning. Okay, I see that. So you're holding it out front like you were, I don't know, picking up a log or something. Your elbows in tight and then you're stretching outward and uh, working your shoulder blades together. You said exercise, but you didn't say stretching. Are we stretching or building muscle? Well, it's a little bit of, of, you'll get a little bit of a stretch through the front part of your body, so that chest and, and shoulder region, and you're also going to work on those small little muscles that kind of encapsulate your upper back and shoulder area to help them um, kind of get a little bit stronger, and then that in turn is going to help return kind of your posture to what we would say is a good neutral position. So these four exercises should be held 30 to 60 seconds, and what, in, in three to six weeks, we're going to notice a difference? 
Yep, that's our hope. The W exercise, you probably want to do about two to three sets worth with about eight to 10 repetitions. That's a great place to start. Okay, so we've got the calf stretch, the kneeling hip flex, we've got snow angels, and the W exercise. Yep, kneeling hip flexor. Fantastic. So we're using flexibility to increase our mobility. Exactly, Jim. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jim. It's been a pleasure. And that was Tom Rick. He is an exercise specialist at the Mayo Clinic for a Healthy Living Program. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, a certified trainer, and a peak Pilates instructor. And you can find out more about Tom by visiting his website, it's trainwithtom.tumblr.com, and Tom is T-H-O-M. Now, if you go to the show notes for this episode, we have the, the photos that he sent in there that show the exercises. And you should really drop by and check them out because it's not difficult to do, and it makes a lot of sense. The stretching increases our mobility, and we certainly need it for motorcycling. term body English is when it comes to motorcycles anyway, it, it's using your body to help your motorcycle change direction. In other words, by leaning your bike. So, you know, you stand on your pegs, you're pushing on one peg and letting off the other, or maybe you're leaning your bike over and you're putting a lot of weight on the outside peg to change your contact patch footprint. It makes a big difference when you're on a large adventure bike and even a small adventure bike. It's all controlled by the pegs when you get into the off-road situations where you're standing up. And when you're doing that, you think about it, your only contact point are those pegs. You want pegs that are extremely durable. You want pegs that will hold on. So in other words, your, your foot will connect with them and stay connected. And you want a big enough platform there that you can stand up and be confident. When you stand up on your bike, I mean, you, you should be fully supported by your pegs and have some stability there. And most stock pegs are not big enough. IMS has a full range of foot pegs available for you and I, and I'm running them on my bike now. I really, really like these pegs. I'm running the rally version of their pegs. They're all cast certified 17-4 stainless steel, certified heat treating, homogenizing, and annealing process. They're built in the USA. They're guaranteed for life. And IMS, IMS is a company that's been around for a long time now. I think it's from 1976 was the date they started. And they founded themselves on supplying equipment to racers. And racers, of course, are very demanding people. Well, they put that same quality into these foot pegs. You've got to see them to, to, uh, to really understand the quality. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. Get a hold of them. Ask them the questions you need to ask about it. And do yourself a favor. Get yourself a good set of IMS foot pegs. And anytime you're talking to them, of course, mention Adventure Rider Radio.
Well, continuing on the theme of flexibility, flexibility also comes into play when we're talking about doing a trip, any trip, short or long. To be too rigid in your trip can mean, in some cases, having a bad time. You got to be able to move with things that change and be flexible. And that's exactly what this next story is about. This person took a trip and it went horribly wrong, at least in his mind. And he had the flexibility to change his plans, even though he'd committed. And that flexibility is what's paid off. My name's Graham Field. I live in Bulgaria and I do, I suppose, mid-length motorcycle trips and then write books about it. Graham, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hi, Jim. (laughs) So when it comes to doing a trip like you do, um, are your trips always like sort of set in stone when when you plan a trip? And and the one I want to talk about actually was the, the, the trip that you wrote the book about Eureka, because I think it fits what we're talking about on this episode. But are your trips rigid? Do you sort of plan it out, start to finish and say, okay, that's my goal and sort of, you know, come hell or high water, you're going to make it? Not really. I mean, I have a destination, or at least I try and have a destination in mind. Uh, I mean, it, it, the whole point of Eureka was it just failed miserably. Um, the, the first trip was to Mongolia. I wanted to go to Mongolia, unthinkable distance, and uh, from where I lived in the UK at the time, about fifteen thousand miles. Well, I didn't go in a straight line, and on a, on a really cheap bike, on a sort of uh, like a seven hundred and fifty pound uh, UK pound money bike, and, and I made it there. So, so and, and then wrote the book about it, and that became popular. And so I thought, well, I could do this again. So the second trip. I've heard the phrase since then, second tripitis, where you're too confident and you blow it. I would say Eureka was second bookitis. And, and I just blew it. I, I did it for all the wrong reasons. I wasn't doing it because of the yearning. I was doing it because if I do another ride, I can write another book. And, and I sort of whizzed through Eastern Europe uh, probably too quickly, but I was heading on to the, what's collectively known as the stands. And that was that was the target to go through the stands and, and the mountainous region that I was really looking forward to. So went through Turkey. Oh, originally I wanted to go to Iran on my way, uh, but that year, 2013, they were having their elections. It was really difficult to get a visa, and so that failed. So I went to Iraq instead because most people don't know the difference anyway. And that was good. The Iraq bit was good, and uh, and then I was heading up through Turkey into Georgia and Azerbaijan. And that was really where the journey was going to start. In Azerbaijan, you cross the Caspian Sea into Tajikistan. And that for me, hitting the stands, that was it. I'd spent a week in Turkey procuring all my visas, which is no easy task for the stands, jumping through all the hoops. I had them all there in my passport, as well as permits for riding certain roads. And I got there, I got as far as the Caspian Sea to get this notoriously unreliable ferry and what was driving me just disappeared. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I sat in a hotel room looking at people's blogs who had done it, who were like thrilled and in awe of seeing wild camels. Well, I did that when I was in Kazakhstan and Mongolia. They're talking about mosques that they've seen and the architecture. I thought, well, I've seen all that. I've just come through Turkey. There's some of the biggest mosques that you're ever going to see. And I just lost the mojo. The mojo was barely there anyway, and I lost it. And there came a point where I just had to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to waste all the visas in my passport. 
everything that I've done, all the research, all the Facebooking and the I'm going to go to the stands. I'm going to lose face with all these people. I'm not going to do it for a book. I'm not going to have a book. I'm not doing it for whatever reason. Maybe the same feeling that the people who didn't get on the Titanic had. I don't know. But I, I just didn't do it. And it was a, a complete and utter failure. But I, I couldn't go straight back home because my house was rented out to do this trip. I didn't have a home to go to. Hang on. What, what makes you just all of a sudden decide, like, why not push through to your goal? Like, you've got all this pressure that you just described there. Why wouldn't you just keep going? Well, at this point, I think I've been on the road for about six weeks, something like that. And the whole thing had been a push. Iraq was good. There were pints of turkey that were okay. But I kept waiting to get in the zone. And it's kind of funny because this morning uh, we recorded Adventure Rider Radio Raw. and We were talking about the zone and how long you have to be on the road before you get into it. I couldn't get in the zone. It was always a chore. It was just I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't. It wasn't working. So I made this agonizing decision to have total failure, waste money, waste time. I'm going to turn around and give up on everything. And when I did that, it's as if the planets aligned. I mean, that very first night, I camped in this uh, truck graveyard of all these abandoned ex-Soviet vehicles. as depressing as hell. But I was joyous inside. <laughs> so I was really happy. Hmm. And then following that, I went back to Georgia, saw parts of Georgia, which is one of my favorite countries in the world. It's so small, but so diverse. Up in the mountains, around the glaciers, met good people, met someone I knew I didn't even know was on a similar trip. And and like I say, the, the trip was only halfway there. It wasn't like I did a straight line back home. But whatever it was I was pushing against, when I stopped pushing against it, everything just fell into place. So... I mean, looking back, and which is the reason we talk about it now, it was being flexible at the time. It felt like failure, but it was I, what was really failure is failure to continue to do something that you're not enjoying, or to actually change the plan so much. And that's why it's called Eureka, spelled with a U, because I did this U-turn and everything fell into place. I found what I was looking for. I found the contentment, and um, and, and 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 I constantly meet people or speak to people who who are. Who, who don't necessarily have a good time all the time on their trips because it's it's life. It's a long trip it's, and it has highs and lows. And one of the nicest reviews the, the book got was it said, he had thoughts that I've had but didn't think it was okay to voice them. And uh, I don't know if it is okay to voice them. I just did. But, yeah, I, it, it failed. It went totally wrong. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't enjoying it. And once I made that decision to give up on it, it all went right. So consequently, when I got back, I decided, you know what, I am going to write about it because there's still a message here, even if it wasn't the, the dream trip that we hoped it to be. And because of that, who would have thought it? It ended up, you know, people liked it because, oh, he's really honest. It, it doesn't always work out. Living the dream is sometimes a bloody nightmare. <laughs> well, and that's the irony of it too, really, isn't it? That you, you gave up on the trip and it actually it turned into a book that you wanted to do to begin with. So in the end, you got what you wanted by being flexible on your trip. Of course. And the other byproduct of that, of course, is it came back through Bulgaria. So now I've been in Bulgaria three times in that trip, liked it so much, and now I live here. So you know, everything happens for a reason. Is that why you fell in love with Bulgaria, coming back on that trip? Well, I liked it on the way there, but on the way back, of course, I had a lot more time and, again, met more people and saw more of the country. 
and just thought, you know, like for two years sort of those uh, after I returned back to the UK, for two years I kept thinking romantically about Bulgaria. I really liked it there. It ticked all the boxes and came back to do There was a little Horizons Unlimited mini-meet in, in 2015, two years after the trip. And I came back to do a presentation there and it was every bit as good as I remembered. And bought a house and now two and a bit years on, I, I live here and it's my life. So, so yeah, a failed trip. I didn't make it to the stands, but I'm in a total victory in other respects because people liked what I wrote about it. And now I live in a country that I absolutely have contentment. So it all worked out in the end. Often when we do something new, like going out and traveling, for instance, there's a, a time period that you sort of have to get over to fall into the rhythm. So you're really uncomfortable at first, and then you fall into the rhythm, and then things go great afterwards. How do you know the difference between that and that the trip is going horribly wrong and you've, you've got to call it quits? Um, well, I knew there was a need to change the plans because I wasn't enjoying it, because every day was not living in the moment, but considering what's next or what could have been. But you said that you get that even on any trip. There's times where you're not comfortable or you're not enjoying things. You said, you know, sometimes trips can be a real problem or, or hard to do. Yes, but it's it's generally short-lived. I mean, you might have a few down days. You might be starved of company or you've stayed in a shitty guest house or you haven't slept well. There's been bike problems, bureaucratic problems, financial problems, whatever. But they pass. But in the Eureka, certainly heading towards Azerbaijan, it was just a fight. Every day was a fight to, not every day, but the majority of the days were a, a, a real it was really hard when I got up in the morning not to turn the bike around and go back. I was, I couldn't find the drive. It wasn't there. I couldn't find the thrill. I mean, there was some nice scenery. Iraq was great. Eastern Turkey was okay. The, the bit of Georgia I saw on the way there was all right. But it just, I wasn't getting the wow factor. And the second I turned that thing around, even that abandoned truck graveyard there was a wow factor. There was also a little kitten as well. Maybe that helped. But it was... Uh, <laughs> but there, And then moving up into sort of northern Georgia, up into the... Uh, oh, God, what are they called? That mountain range, uh, Caucasus Mountains or something. And there's like 199 glaciers in this very small area. It's stunningly beautiful and Coming from the UK, from the southeast of England, we don't have mountains, so any mountains do it for me, particularly snow-capped mountains with glaciers coming down the side of them. Love it. So, and the wow factor was back, and it stayed there. It stayed uh, stayed there back through Turkey, back through Bulgaria, back through former Yugoslavian states, uh, all the way even. And because, like I say, uh, for want of a better, you know, like the planets did align. I even met someone, a French guy, who I rode through France with, which is very convenient because he spoke French. <laughs> and um, we, were, we were able to not get the – it's like, well, if you don't speak French, we will not serve you. We got the proper <laughs> we got the, we got good food. Everything, all the way back to the ferry was good. And even the first day back in the UK, an Iron Maiden concert, it kept on rocking all the way at the end. <laughs> But aren't you going to run into the same thing because you you didn't you you weren't having fun going last time? I think that's what I was saying when I was when I'm when I'm asking about the mindset or external. I mean, it wasn't like did you pick a raw the wrong route to go? Is that what turned you off, or or is it your mindset is is just not there for it? You know, you're just not clued in with your trip. Well, I think I picked the wrong reasons. Like I said, I mean, the destination. I don't think there was anything wrong with the actual destination, other than the fact that I didn't get there. 
but the, the problem was, it's like, I'm going to do a trip and I'm going to write a book about it. Wrong, wrong, wrong. What you do is go off for a ride. And if there's anything worth saying, then you say about it afterwards. But to leave thinking I'm going to write a second book was just the wrong reason to leave, really. And and if I went again, I mean, now I do little trips. Um, it's wonderful living on the mainland because I can go down to Macedonia, over Serbia, Greece, Romania, whatever. My insurance covers me. I don't even have to book a ferry or anything. They're all connected. And I, I don't have to tell everyone I'm going because I'll be back in a few days. And uh, so it's very easy to sort of do. I think one of the worst things, and I see a lot of people do this, is they, they have their blog set up. They even have their little business cards. Follow us. We're doing this. It's Oh, God, you're setting yourself up for failure. And, and a lot of them do because if they're that psyched up about it that they are printing little business cards and giving out stickers, they're probably doing it because they're so excited about it because it's something that they've always dreamt of and it's their first trip. The first trips or any trip can go desperately wrong. And I think the more people you tell, the more you feel that you'll, you you need to do it. And I don't know if that's the right motivation you, do, you need. Are you doing it for everybody else or are you doing it for you? I mean, ultimately, that was the thing I decided when I did the U-turn. I am doing this for me and my enjoyment. And if I lose face because I haven't made it to the stands like I said I was going to, then so be it, because it's for me and my and my enjoyment. And ultimately, it turned out that it wasn't my enjoyment. I did, the second I turned around, enjoy it. But um, I think I might have turned your question around here, like turn me trip around. <laughs> so now when you plan your next trip... Do you have the the conditions there sort of built in for yourself that that you're not rigid? I mean, I think that's what I'm getting out of you. Have you sort of learned from that trip and you do your trips different now? Yeah. I mean, once you get your visas, well, actually, once you've got your visas, you're not even committed. So, yeah, you've got to be flexible, I think. You have to be, unless you're, you've got a wedding at the end of the journey to go to. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've got you have. It's um, because... I think you're missing the point of the journey if you are totally destination driven. I mean, it's a, you know, everybody says it's not about the, you know, it's the journey, not the destination. Common phrase, but it, it really rings true. If you don't have the flexibility, not only to change it, but to slow it or to speed it up or to just stop somewhere for a week or to divert off because you've heard of somewhere better. It's, um, it, it, it's, to be totally destination driven. I mean, I was a truck driver for 17 years. I know what it's like to be destination driven, to shake that off and suddenly have the, the, they talk about the freedom of the road. The road is free. You are there to be able to choose your direction. So uh, yeah, flexibility is, uh, I think next time someone says to me, what's the best thing to take with you? I'll say flexibility. (laughs) Well, Graham, thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks, Jim. Well, you can find out more about Graham Field by visiting his website at www.gramfield.co.uk. And his books, well, they're available everywhere books are sold. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much for coming by. If you like what you're hearing, you can drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and you can download all of our shows for free. Just go there and look at them. We have another show called ARR Raw. You can drop by there, and you can download those as well. And if you're into it, you like what you hear, you want to keep things going, you want to help the show out, we could use your support. The uh, model for our show is to have some advertising and listener donations to make it all work. We've got a bunch of different ways that you can help support the show. Just go to the website, click on the support button. You can do the Patreon thing where you're putting a certain amount every month. You can do a one-time donation. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. And I think $50 or more is going to get you a mention on our Raw show that we do once a month. So drop by the website. There's a bunch of things on there as well, including with this episode. It's got those exercise images on there. You definitely need to go by and check those out. Remember, flexibility, mobility. My name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week. This is Tim Burke, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 